This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to try and take up where we left off on last week's show, talking a bit about travel. As, as I recall, we were in the middle of Vanuatu when we had to break off owing to time constraints. Among other things, then, we will go back to the South Pacific to talk about the curious island republic of Vanuatu, as well as Australia and eclipse chasing, which was the whole point of taking off last month. And I think I reported on the show uh, that the trip was successful. I did witness the eclipse, and we will have pictures on the website soon. This is the show of the year closest to the winter solstice, which means, dear listener, that Pretty much every day after this is going to get longer. Well, I think technically it's a tie tomorrow, but at any rate, the days are not going to get any shorter than this. And if you've been keeping track, you may have noticed that the sunsets are starting to come a little bit earlier already, which is a curious anomaly related to the fact that, uh, well, we speed up and we slow down as we move around the sun because we move in a big ellipse, not a circle. Our closest approach to the sun will be on January 2nd of next year. So it would remind our Australian listeners to make sure to put on just a little bit of extra sunscreen. All right, let's, let's, let's take a look at this date in history based on the date of December 20th. It was on December 20th in the year 69 AD that Vespasian, a former general under Nero, entered Rome to claim the title of emperor. His reign was noted for its order and the beginning of a century of peace. Interesting side story about Vespasian, which I learned some years ago, was that, yes, he was sent to Judea to put down the Jewish rebellion, which had begun. When he encountered the Jewish leader Josephus, Josephus ingratiated himself to Vespasian by doing his fortune and saying, by God, I think you're going to be emperor. When trouble back home led to Nero's suicide, Vespasian decided to roll the dice on that option and succeeded. Josephus went on to become one of the more celebrated historians of ancient times. Although he scandalized the Christian churches by failing to mention Jesus Christ, even though he lived in that part of the world shortly after the time of Jesus. This rather startling omission caused later church authorities to phony up some references to Jesus and stick him in the history. You have to admit, it's not a very Christmassy item for this show. So I guess we'll try and make up for that. That was on December 20th in 1192, when on his way home from having concluded a treaty with Saladin to end the Third Crusade, England's Richard the Lionhearted was captured and imprisoned by Leopold V of Austria over an argument they had had during the Crusade. Boys, stop fighting! By the way, Richard the Lionhearted spoke French and is believed to have been gay. On December 20th in 1803, the U.S. and French governments put the finishing touches on the Louisiana Purchase. For the relatively small price tag of $15 million, the U.S. acquired an area that would later become Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, the Dakotas, as well as chunks of Minnesota, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and of course, Louisiana. Napoleon thought he might lose the territory anyway, so he cooked up this idea of putting it up at a fire sale price, taking the money, and marauding around Europe. 
And, of course, the U.S. and French governments did no consulting of the people that actually lived in the territory and all the Native Americans. On December 20th in 1907, physicist Albert Mickelson became the first American scientist to receive the Nobel Prize. His work contributed to the development of Einstein's theory of relativity. And on December 20th in the year 1920, the English-born comedian Leslie Downs became an American citizen. You know him better by the name he adopted later, which was Bob Hope. Gotta say, I got some mixed feelings about Mr. Bob Hope. But over a long comedic career, especially some of those road pictures with Bing Crosby, he did have his moments. Thanks for the memory of sentimental verse. Nothing in my purse and chuckles when the preacher said... Our quote of the day comes from former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, who said, Anybody who thinks the world would be a better place if it were run by women doesn't remember high school. Our quote of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who said, Anyone see that Hurricane Sandy concert? Kanye West performed while wearing a leather skirt. So now they're having a benefit concert for people who had to see that. Makes me wonder, that was a concert involving musicians, wasn't it? Why did they invite Kanye West? To which I have to add, no, the fact that I don't like rap is not because I'm old. It really does suck. And, you kids get off of my lawn! Yeah, but I'm sticking to it. It does suck. Anyway, our joke of the day comes from Craig Ferguson, or at least his writers, which is, a love letter written by a young Mick Jagger sold at auction for $300,000. You can tell that Mick Jagger's an old man because the letter actually began, Dear Cleopatra. Our bonus joke comes from David Letterman, who said, It's award season. They start off with the Nobel Prizes, then they go to the Golden Globes. Then there's Barbara Walters' 10 Most Fascinating People show. That was on last night. Number one, by the way, was General Petraeus. I think if this guy was a little less fascinating, he probably would still have his job. All right, we have two stats of the day. The first comes from The Economist, which has a special section in the current issue on obesity, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. But the piece closed with a showstopper item, which is as following, which is as follows. If everyone became as heavy as the average American, according to one estimate, the world's human biomass would jump by 20%. This is the equivalent of adding about a billion normal-sized people. Yikes. And stat number two is probably equally astonishing in its own way, which is that China's wealth gap has widened so much that the country is now one of the world's most unequal outside of sub-Saharan Africa. A Chinese institute found last week that China's Gini coefficient, a number that represents income inequality, has soared from 0.41 a decade ago to 0.61 today. Anything over 0.5 is considered to be destabilizing. South Africa gets the highest rating in this. South Africa, where opulent mansions border shanty towns that lack water, scores a 0.65. Turns out that nearly half a billion Chinese live on $2 a day or less. Chinese economists are urging tax reform and increased spending on social services. Yes, one has to pause a minute and take a look at the People's Republic of China, a communist state, based as it's supposed to be on an egalitarian uh, view of how 
income should be redistributed, now has the world's second worst coefficient of income disparity. We assume that Chairman Mao is spinning in his grave. Of course, where Chairman Mao is, they may be using him as a fan because I'm sure it's pretty hot down there. This might, might be a good time to note that the opinion that Chairman Mao is in fact burning in hell does not in any way necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All right, before we do uh, the good, and the, the bad, and the ugly, we want to cite one piece here that I was hoping we'd be able to read at some point in the not-too-distant future, and I guess we're there. According to the Tribune Washington Bureau, President Barack Obama said last Friday he's willing to consider relaxing federal enforcement of the laws against marijuana for those who possess small amounts of the drug. It's about time. The administration was reacting to new laws in Washington and Colorado that permit recreational users to have an ounce of marijuana at home. In addition, 18 other states now permit the medical use of marijuana, including California. Of course, the president said he is not ready to support widespread legalization of marijuana, but added, it would not make sense for us to see a top priority as going after recreational users in states that have determined it's legal. We've got bigger fish to fry. Now, if the president will just show some guts and crack down on his own federal attorneys in uh, getting together to seemingly do as they please, these uh, statements may translate into something meaningful. We certainly hope so. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Call it what you will. It had to be a good week for it a couple weeks back after a worker at a New Orleans convenience store clamped a metal boot on the tire of an ambulance parked outside. It should be noted that inside, paramedics were treating a customer with chest pains. They had to wait to get a new ambulance to then go on to the hospital. Now, we don't have enough information to know what rules they were breaking by parking the way they did, but holy mackerel. It was conversely a bad week last week for the miracle of Hanukkah. After a rabbi became stranded 20 feet in the air in a cherry picker after lighting a giant electric menorah in New Rochelle, New York. It's reported that when there was no divine intervention, he had to be rescued by firefighters. It was also an ugly week last week for more bailouts after 4,000 Americans signed an online petition at whitehouse.gov calling for the Obama administration to, quote, nationalize the Twinkie industry, unquote, to prevent our nation from losing her sweet, creamy center. Yes, Hostess is in bankruptcy. We'll talk about it in a minute. Of course, if something had to be saved from Hostess, why couldn't it be the Ding Dong or the Cupcake, not the Twinkie? Mr. McMillan is partial to the ho-ho. Because if the truth be told, there's junk food and then there's junk food. And by the way, we would love to refer you to our archives about a long talk we had on the Twinkie. Well, at least what goes into the Twinkie. We spoke with author Steve Etlinger about his book, Twinkie Deconstructed, subtitled My Journey to Discover How the Ingredients Found in Processed Foods Are Grown, Mined, 
yes, mind, and manipulated into what America eats. That was a very fun chat. If you didn't hear it when it aired, we hope you'll check it out. In fact, but also if you did hear it when it aired, we hope you'll go back and check it out. Because among other eye-opening things we discovered was that yes, the ingredients in Twinkies are mind. And finally, it was a bad and ugly week for, well, I guess we, again we could say inflexibility and zero tolerance policy. In the wake of a Florida high school going into lockdown after chemistry students brought thermometers to school. Asked to bring an element from the periodic table, several students brought in thermometers containing mercury. Alarmed school officials, which, which we would say in parentheses, morons, <laughs> citing the toxicity of mercury, locked 2,200 students in their classes and summoned a hazmat team. Said sophomore Kyle Salvaggio, it's almost stupid. Well, no, Kyle, it is stupid. Now, while it's true that native mercury does have a certain toxicity, at least when heated to vapor, in its liquid state, it's relatively safe. In its liquid state, enclosed inside glass, inside a thermometer, it's definitely safe. We have so many of these stories of what takes place in schools. You have to wonder, you know, about our school officials. I was hoping not to mention that tragic school shooting uh, in Connecticut on this program, but I suppose it's inevitable we have to make at least passing reference to it because it has reignited the nation's debate on what to do about gun control measures, or at least some measures to keep guns out of the hands of the deranged. In fact, in our third segment, we'll cite some numbers in the current edition of Mother Jones addressing um, those sad matters. In other sad matters, North Korea apparently launched a three-stage long-range rocket this week. Apparently it was not a successful test of this missile, but does seem to perpetuate the idea that North Korea is some kind of threat to world stability. While on my trip, I was reading an account of a scientist who'd gone to North Korea to help them try and overt the eco-disaster that is unfolding because, well, they've apparently cut down all their trees. This is a nation that can barely feed itself. How much of a threat can they be to South Korea? Which at this point in time is so advanced in its uh, economy that it really can be considered part of industrialized nations. Of course, military authorities around the world can point to North Korea, uh, cite this bogeyman, and demand that the taxpayers of their, relative, of their respective nations cough up more dough to protect themselves from... Kim Jong-un. From the Only in California, perhaps, file, we have the interesting statistic that uh, apparently our taxpayers here in the state paid a prison psychiatrist $822,000 last year, which was five times more than we paid Governor Brown. And by the way, we paid 92 other psychiatrists more than $300,000. Apparently a Bloomberg investigation found this out. Evidently, this uh, is partly the result of a court order that compelled the state to improve inmate care. Dr. Mohammed Safi, who got his medical degree in Afghanistan, was on call 17 hours a day, including many weekends. I guess he's the 800000 a year shrink. Then again, it must be worth it. Look at what a great job they're doing at reducing recidivism among our inmates. And though we don't have time for it today, we have to get to, get to talking about South Carolina politics, particularly Senator Jim DeMint, who's 
quitting the Senate to uh, become the head of a conservative think tank. Yes, a conservative think tank. Is that an oxymoron? Well, some would, some would contend that it is. We, uh, we did follow the, uh, the election of Senator DeMint uh, with some um, interest a couple years back, particularly when the man that ran against him, Alvin Green, a black unemployed felon who apparently had no job, no platform, no campaign committee, ran no advertising, somehow still managed to win the Democratic primary, which kind of ensured that Senator DeMint would be returning to the Senate in a walk. But alas, we've had no chance to look into those matters any deeper, so we'll have to let them uh, let them um, go for the time being. But hopefully next year we'll be able to focus in on what's going on down in uh, the Palmetto State. All right, speaking of politics, let's hear from America's foremost political comic, shall we? Hey guys, Will Durst here with your top 10 comedic news stories of 2012, which are not under any circumstances to be confused with the top 10 legitimate news stories of 2012. No, 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 make no mistake, they are as different as polka dot cummerbunds and liar's dice, duck liver and Spanish moss, pearl necklaces and motorcycle handlebars. So here they are, the major stories of the past year that provided the best opportunities for mocking and scoffing and taunting. Number 10. Donald Trump Assumes leadership of the birther movement, then won't shut up all year. The man has all the grace and elegance of tumbling dumpsters. Number 9. The first presidential debate. 70 million Americans tune in, but for some reason, President Obama is not one of them. Number 8. The GOP primaries. The party plays candidate whack-a-mole. Everybody leads Romney in the polls at one time or another, including candidates who aren't running. Number seven, the London Olympics. Ann Romney's horse, Rafalka, competes in dressage, but fails to medal, probably gets shipped home strapped to the fuselage of a 747. Michaela Maroney is not impressed. Number six, the vice presidential debate. Joe Biden goes all malarkey on us. Two words, dude. Decaf. Number five. Barack Obama supports gay marriage. Comes out of his own personal policy closet. Number four. Mitt Romney promises to fire Big Bird, thereby losing the pivotal pre-adolescent vote. Number three. The Democratic National Convention. Specifically, Bill Clinton laying out the exact reasons why America should re-elect his president, Bill Clinton. Number two. The Republican National Convention. Specifically, Clint Eastwood upstaging the nominee's acceptance speech by getting into an argument with an empty chair and losing. And the number one comedic news story of 2012 was Mitt Romney running the worst campaign ever. And that includes New Coke in France in 39. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. All right, before we go to break, I want to cite one, uh, one item that's not related to U.S. politics, but rather Chinese. This item made, might have made our good, bad, and the ugly in terms of the fact that it was definitely a bad week last week for Mo Yan, the 57-year-old Chinese author who received the Nobel Prize in Literature, which naturally prompted accolades back home in China. 
But noted CBS News, no sooner had state-run media extolled him as a cultural hero than critics started hurling a very different kind of label his way, such as stooge, prostitute, and sellout. Detractors as prominent as Salman Rushdie called the man a patsy. Why all this strong language? Well, apparently not only did Mo, a Communist Party member with strong ties to Beijing, refuse to use his Nobel platform to push for the release of fellow Nobel laureate Liu Jiabo, but he also spoke out in explicit favor of censorship. Speaking in Stockholm, Mo called censorship necessary and likened it to routine airport security checks. This prompted a response from Kerry Brown, described as director of China Studies Center at the University of Sydney, saying, giving Mo Yang this prize was a real disaster. His comments in Stockholm are pretty ironic since his pen name means be silent. Last week, a group of 134 Nobel winners across six disciplines penned an open letter to Beijing demanding Liu's release. That was followed by an AP press report that the Nobel laureate's wife was being held under house arrest as punishment for his crimes. Liu, whose 2010 award ceremony was marked by an empty chair because he wasn't permitted to travel to Sweden, has been branded a criminal by Beijing for helping to write Charter 08. The manifesto calls for sweeping judicial and civil reforms and an end to the Middle Kingdom's one-party rule. But Mo, who said in October that he hoped Liu would be released, steadfastly refused to discuss his fellow laureate's 11-year sentence before accepting the $1.2 million cash prize. Sad, but let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We've got a lot of science and fun stuff to talk about in the next two segments, so stick around. But if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone anyhow. 